As you're sitting, we have a very good problem this morning. We're running out of space. Could you all scoot in if there's that lonely little chair that no one is going to scoot by you to find? Uh, close that in and give some room on the outside, please. Don't you love it when uh, the, the new guy, I, I'm not new, but I'm not Randy, uh, when the guy comes in and tells you what to do. <laughs> My name is Jonathan. Thank you all. Uh, it's really good to be here. I love preaching. Um, at our Granny White congregation. So my name is Jonathan Nash. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Midtown. Um, and my wife and I live in um, the Napier neighborhood of South Nashville, in historic South Nashville, and uh, have started a, a ministry and a congregation of Midtown Fellowship there in the neighborhood called the Napier Kitchen Table. Uh, those are those um, brochures that you're sitting on. And so I'm gonna uh, reference those and talk a little bit about our Napier ministry at the end of the service. Uh, but for now, we're gonna open the word of God. So um, turn in your Bibles, please, to the book of Genesis. I have really, y'all, there's a lot I'm struggling with this morning. I'm gonna just kind of share that now and throughout the sermon. Um, but one of the things I've just struggled with is how to even jump into this story this would be a difficult passage of scripture to teach any day. Um, this is a difficult passage of scripture to teach and any passage of scripture in some way is difficult to teach after Easter Sunday because Easter feels like the Super Bowl of Christianity. And so then how do you go back to, you know, Monday after? Um, and then given uh, the, the, the journey of grief that we're still at the very early stages of in our city uh, with the shooting and murders at Covenant, um, this is also a particularly difficult passage. So I don't really know how I'm gonna enter this. I guess I'm doing it right now, which is the, the great thing. You know, you just start moving and things happen. Um, I, I will say that uh, this passage of scripture is meant to encourage us. It's meant to give us hope. Um, and it's meant to turn our eyes to Jesus, who is the source of encouragement and hope. And so that's why I, I, I truly believe that every passage of scripture, it's not just worth teaching, right? It's, uh, it's a powerful and necessary opportunity for us to receive something that we need in our hearts. Um, we do have that song going on uh, all the time that Brandon referenced, if you were here at the call to worship. Um, we're all singing a particular song, and we've all written a particular song for our life. Uh, some of us uh, are metalheads, and uh, you know what I mean, right? You know, uh, you're one of those who goes through life like, no, 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 no. And you're just like raging through life and like holding on the, you know, the, the harder, the faster, the louder, the stronger. That's, that's, that's your song. Some of you are classical music pianists and you want to sit in the calm and the dark and just let the, the tunes wash over you, you know, and be carried. Uh, some of you are indie, right? And everything's got to be alternative. Everything's got to be a little different, right? You appreciate uh, a little bit of uniqueness in your life. The reason we all have songs that we both imagine our life following and write our life, intentionally craft our life to follow, is because we, we want consistency and we want a story. And we want things to make sense. And to the metalhead, a metalhead life makes sense, right? To a classical musician, the, the classical music life makes sense. Here's the thing, life is full of dissonance. Right? Dissonance is that, that musical term for when a, 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 you know, a sound, a noise, uh, a note comes in and it just doesn't flow in the song, right? It doesn't fit. Uh, we experienced a profound, almost a, uh, uh, like, yeah, a profound and, and 
over-the-top experience of that a few weeks ago. Um, anytime that life is taken in such a horrible way, such a surprising way, I mean, that's massive dissonance. And it's also small-scale dissonance when, you know, you get in the fight with your wife at 10 p.m. last night. I'm, why are y'all laughing? Am I the only one? That, that's dissonance, too. Uh, life, none of us, right, we can all agree, none of us write pain, hardship, suffering into the song of our life, right? That's not part of the song that you've expected your life to follow. And yet it happens. We live in it. And the, the, the best we can do with it is to bring that to Jesus and let it breathe. Instead of holding our breath through it, kind of holding our breath and hoping maybe we'll get through this. Maybe I'll get the blessing uh, from my life that I want. Maybe, maybe these things I'm, I'm just working out in my life you know, and bare knuckling it. Uh, may, maybe, you know, maybe I can hold my breath and hope that they come. Um, we don't have to do that. This morning we can breathe and we can let the questions breathe. We can let the doubts breathe. We can let the missed expectations, uh, the squandered opportunities, you know, all the dissonance that is authentically part of the song of our actual life uh, we, can, we can bring that to the Lord here in this place and to the word of God. And I really do believe the story of Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4 will help us do that. Uh, and so we're going to jump right in. Um, this is the word of the Lord. So listen, please, as I read Genesis chapter 4, starting in verse 1. Now Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. And she said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. And in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Lord, uh, Teach us, correct us, train us um, in what it means to be your sons and your daughters. 
what it means to be the recipients of the infinite blessing that comes from your hand. Lead us and train us in the way we should go through this passage and help us to see the beauty and majesty of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So if we can put ourselves back in the place that we were at in Genesis chapter 3. So if we can go back a few weeks ago to when we heard the story of the fall, this is the very next passage. I know a few weeks have passed for us since you might have heard this, but you know, in the Bible, story happens after story. Everything is intentionally connected. And so this is the story that we're given. This is the very first information that the readers of the Bible get after we hear about how Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord, chose sin, and the world fell, as we say in Christianity. The fall, right? The, the uh, breaking of the order, or we could say the breaking of the song that God had written for his people and for the world. Everything changed. Dissonance, aka sin, aka Things that were not as God intended are now part of this world. They're part of the human experience. And that's the world we get in Genesis chapter four. You know, it says, Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived and bore Cain. We had just been told that one of the consequences of mankind's sin is that the the very act of giving birth is now gonna be a painful thing for women. And then we hear, and Adam knew his wife Eve, uh, in the ES, I got my ESV Bible, um, made love to his wife Eve, and then she gave birth to her, to her son Cain. In pain is, is kind of the dot, dot, dot of that. So we're seeing this world immediately being lived out by these people, and we see these people, these, these new human creations of the Lord, living out their life post-fall in sin. So that, that should just be immediately the frame that we look at for this passage is what, it, what is this telling us about now the life of a broken world outside of us and inside of us? What is this telling us about the internal life of sin and the way that temptation comes? So we've got Adam and Eve. They have their firstborn son named Cain. And, and we believe they were probably living right outside the Garden of Eden. It says they're still in Eden right? Because Cain, Cain leaves Eden and settles at the end of the text. So they're still in Eden. They're just not in the garden anymore. So, you know, we just imagine they, you know, were kicked out of the garden and they can't be in this, you know, um, utopian world that God had created. And so they just set up shop. They're doing, you know, the best they can. They're, they're continuing to follow the Lord. Uh, they're working the ground. They're tending to livestock. They're having children. And so the firstborn of Adam and Eve, Cain, has one half of his father's job. Right? Adam was told to tend the earth and to grow crops from the earth. And so Cain is the farmer. The second born son, Abel, does the second half of his father's job. Right, Because Adam and Eve were told to name the animals, take care of the animals, husband the animals, right? Animal husbandry, that's, that's Abel's job. He's the shepherd. And so they're coming into this and they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. And we see one of the things that they know they're supposed to be doing is thanking the Lord for the fruit of their labor, right? We, we say that, the fruit of my labor, right? We know that to mean the, the, the things I get from putting work into this world. Well, for Cain, it literally was fruit, right? The fruit of his labor was fruits and vegetables as a farmer. And so he does what he knew was what his 
you know, people that what the human creation was supposed to do, which is give some of that back to God. So we get the situation at the beginning of our story where it says that Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. We don't know why they did that other than they knew that that was what they were supposed to do. And I think it was because unlike us, they were so intimately connected to God as the source and creator of all things that there was no doubt in Cain's mind where this fruit of the land came from, right? God had just created not just plants, but the processes by which plants reproduce. God had created seed, God had created soil, God had created the water, right? All this had just happened. And so for Cain, I'm sure he knew, well, of course this came from the Lord. Sure, I tended the ground, I, I worked the ground, but this is all God's. So of course, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it back and, and give it as an offering to the Lord. And so that's what he does. And Abel, like a good younger brother, right? He's watching his older brother. He's like, oh, now I'm gonna bring the fruit of my labor to the Lord. And so Abel brings his offering. And, and the text tells us that the offering of Abel, it gives us some special details about it. For Cain, it just says it's fruits of the soil, right? He just brought, brought some of his, his crops. For Abel, it says he brings the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So this is like A plus, A plus for an offering. If you read further in the Bible, God tells the Israelites to do the exact same thing that Cain and Abel were doing, was to offer sacrifices back to God. And animal sacrifices were always supposed to be, if you wanted to be the best you could be, animal sacrifices were supposed to be two things, fatty and of the firstborn of your flock. And this sounds so weird to us, but first of all, firstborn, right? That was just a picture of, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the first, Lord before I'm even worrying about will my flocks continue to reproduce, right? Before I've got security and assurance, I'm gonna go ahead and give you the firstborn. And then the Bible also told the Israelites or, or the Lord told the Israelites to give the fat. And this is kind of funny because what do we do with fat? We trim it away, right? I've got a, 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 a leg of lamb in the fridge that I'm gonna cook this week. And I was looking at you know, what recipes I was gonna use and it's like, you know, trim the, trim the fat off first. And we do that because we don't want to put too many calories in us, right? We don't have any problem getting calories. We got calories in everything that we eat, so we don't need fat. Not so for these folks, right? The vegetables that they were eating, the fruit that they were eating wasn't high in fat. You got fat from the animal. So this was the prized stuff. Abel was literally bringing the stuff that no one would throw away. And so we shouldn't be very surprised that when God comes down, he is cheering and applauding and, and overjoyed and excited about Abel's offering. It says in verse four, the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering because it was exceptional, because it was the best of the best. And then for Cain, it says he did not look with favor on his offering. Now, I think we gotta be a little careful. It's really easy to assume well, Cain, I even remember growing up, my, my parents would have us watch these like old live action, like B, B level uh, Bible movies. And there was this Cain and Abel story. Oh, that's gruesome. As a little kid, I'm watching like live action Cain and Abel stories. I don't remember like the murder part, but I do remember like in the, in the story, they had, Cain was like bringing up this basket and it was like all these shriveled raisins. Maybe, right? Maybe. I don't think though, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I don't see in the text 
much indication that Cain was like going out of his way to bring the, the bad stuff. He just brings the fruit of the soil. He brought the fruit of what he had tilled and, and planted and the soil had produced. But he doesn't get the special favor. The Lord sees the specialness of Abel and his offering and regards or looks at. The, the, the Hebrew here is physically God was like looking at Abel's offering and wasn't really looking at Cain's offering. And Cain falls apart. He loses it. Hebrew is so rich in its imagery that we lose some of this in the English. It says he was very angry. Okay, I get, I get it, very angry. I was very angry at 10 o'clock last night. In the Hebrew, a little bit more literal translation, very is like the word powerful. He was powerfully hot. That was the word they had for anger in Hebrew. It, 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 one of its main meanings is heat. And we know this, right? We're like, what? why are you hot, bro? Right? Why are you hot? This is saying Cain was powerfully hot and his face was downcast, which another way to translate that is for a, a tree or a building to collapse. He was powerfully hot and his face collapsed. We get a picture of internally and externally, he falls apart. One way we might say this a little bit is when we say that someone was in a dark mood, like a shadow is over their face. They're just, they're, they're in darkness. Internally and externally, he's lost it. He can't even think straight. Why? If, we, if you spend time in this, it's worth wondering why, why, <laughs> right? Why this over-the-top reaction to God looking with favor on his little brother's offering? Well, I think this is why it, it's so important to, to see Genesis 3 and Genesis 4 right next to each other because just the proximity of these two stories tells us the answer to that question. Sin is not just a bad act that you do. We use the word sin to mean bad things people do, which is fruit, right? That's fruit of a tree. But sin also exists at the root. Every fruit comes from a plant that has a root. Every sin comes from a deeper place in your heart that believes something different, that chooses something different, that, that sees and decides to interpret something in such a way that produces the fruit of sin. And what Genesis 3 tells us is the root of all sin, of every sin that's ever been committed and every sin that you and I commit in our hearts, the root of all of it is doubting the goodness, the character, the reality of who God is. It's doubting that and taking a step away from the relationship. Choosing to then, here it is, do something different that's against God's law. Every sin comes from a heart belief, a theology at the end of the day, something that I have decided to believe or chosen, a voice I've listened to that I hold on to, and then I step away from a relationship with God because of it. It's what happened with Eve and Adam in the garden because the serpent comes to them and the serpent says, did God really say that you could have everything you want? Did he really say that he's pouring blessing out on you? And his word was so persuasive that in the midst of an entire garden of blessing, they chose the one thing God said, I don't want you to have that. He didn't even say, I don't want you to have it. He just said, don't eat of this one tree. 
And with that one temptation to doubt whether God was actually infinitely good for them and fully going to supply all their needs, with the one temptation to doubt, they chose to step away from the relationship with God and they chose to get something on their own. In Genesis 3, we see it was the knowledge of good and evil, some, some desire for knowledge that was only God's to have. They said, you know what? I'm going to throw all of this away to take the one thing that God has said I can't have. Okay? You get it? And you see the same thing happening in Cain, don't you? I'm not going to let that little squirt get God's blessing. Right? How could that second-born son get the blessing? How could the second-born son get the favor of God? I'm the firstborn. And by the way, I have some grace for Cain because he was literally the firstborn, right? There had never been a human being born before Cain. He was the first baby that learned how to crawl. He was the first little kid that learned how to get up and walk. He was the first person who learned how to talk, right? He, he was the first in every way for everything up until this point. And so he had decided, and it was culturally Appropriate at the time to see value and honor given to the firstborn. But what is God's way? I will bestow favor on all my children. I will be infinitely good and pour out my blessing on all. Whether or not you're the firstborn or the secondborn, but that was not enough for Cain. Cain chose to believe something that choosing sin always forces us to believe, which is scarcity. Sin gives us, the, the fall presents us with a scarcity mentality, a spiritual scarcity mentality where I doubt whether or not I'm actually gonna have enough. I doubt whether or not I'm actually gonna be enough because how am I supposed to have enough and how am I supposed to be enough? From the Lord. That's what it means to be God's creation. It's what it means to have a God and to be a creature is that he supplies everything that you need. But the basic human temptation is to say, no, he's not going to supply everything I need. He won't give me enough money. I might be stuck in a situation where I won't have the money that I need. And then what am I going to do? He won't give me enough relationships, whether that's a, a spouse, like marriage relationship, or that's friendships, or that's relationships with my kids, or relationships with my parents. Something about that, God's not going to give me enough relationally in that, in that relational hole that I got to fill. And so I got to go do it on my own. I got to go make it happen or on my own. And then when someone doesn't live up to the things I need them to live up to, I blow up. I mean, I could, I could, I could go to any situation. We could go to work and career and, and accomplishment. We could go to power. We all have these needs. The Lord as God and creator is supposed to be the one created us for himself to be the one who supplies all of our needs. But sin presents us with a scarcity mentality. Maybe if God gives blessing and favor to my little brother, he won't give it to me. That's what Cain had decided to believe. And so what does God do? God comes to him and he says, first of all, man, why, why are you upset? Why is your face collapsed like a building? Don't you know that there's enough blessing for you too. In verse six, in verse seven, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
Like Cain, like what, what makes you think I'm not going to accept you? What makes you think I'm not going to love you? If you do what is right, you will be accepted because that's who I am. I'm a God of all blessing. Do you remember what your mom and dad have told you about the garden? That's me. It can be for you too. But if you do not do what is right, in other words, if you choose to doubt my goodness and you choose to step away from my law and you choose to do things that you know you're not supposed to do, like murder, then sin is like an animal. It's crouching at your door. If it gets the chance, it will pounce on you. And its desire is for you. Which is amazing because, again, it tells us sin is a force in and of itself. Call it this, this doubting force, this, this power that is, is drawing us to want to doubt or disbelieve, not God's voice, but to believe something else. And it's also the physical sins that we commit. But you see how the Lord here is saying, watch out, this, this temptation to believe my blessing for you is scarce. It's a finite resource. And if you don't grab it for yourself now, if you let someone else have it, you're not going to get it. That's an animal. And it's right there ready to jump on you. And trust me, God is telling Cain, it will rule you. If you choose it, its desire is to have you but you must rule over it. We see Cain choose. And we see Cain give in to the temptation. We see Cain continue to believe that as long as his little brother is around, there will not be enough blessing to go around. And so he eliminates the competition. He takes his brother out to a field and he kills him so that he isn't now just the firstborn, he's the onlyborn. So now he gets all the blessing, which is amazing. You see the, the, the manipulative power of sin to believe that if I eliminate the other person, now God's gonna have to put all his blessing on me. Who does he think God is? <laughs> and so the Lord comes to him. And, and at this very first moment, we already see, I think, we see the gracious character of God. Just like the first picture we see of God after Adam and Eve sinned, we see the first picture of God after Cain sins, and in both situations, God comes to them with a question. God says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? You remember for Adam and Eve, he says, where are you? Because they ran off. God says to Cain, where is your brother Abel? Cain completely blind in his rage and his sin says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord says, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And he tells him now the natural effect of this sin. This is what's going to happen to you now, Cain, because of the choice that you have made. You are driven from the ground. The source of your value and security is now going to be taken away. You wanted to get favor and blessing by producing something that I would look at and regard and would pour blessing on because you created it. Well, now you don't get to create anything from the ground. You will no longer be able to farm and produce crops. The, the thing you have looked to to try to force my hand to bless you is now taken away from you. And you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. 
But we see so much in the midst of this judgment, right? In the midst of acknowledging and making sure Cain understands the effect of his sin, we still see so much grace. Because Cain's worried someone's going to kill him. Now that he's wandering around, now that he doesn't have the security of a plot of land that he's going to farm and grow and kind of has this, you know, this stake in, in the world that is his, now that he's a wanderer, he's like, someone's going to kill me. And the Lord says, not so. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to put a mark on you so that no one who finds you would kill you. And y'all, I told you, I'm struggling in this morning with parts of this passage. This is a part I'm struggling with. Because um, God doesn't give Cain justice, which feels like he doesn't give me justice as I'm reading this, right? Because I want Cain to receive what I believe is justice for what he did. And it's something worse than what happened. It's so interesting that even in the Israelite law, even in the Hebrew law that God gives to Israel, you know, if you shed man's blood, by man your blood will be shed. In other words, when you murder, you receive the death penalty. That was the Israelite Hebrew law that God himself gave to them. And yet in this case, God doesn't follow his own law. Just like he didn't follow his own law for Adam and Eve when they sinned. God does not kill Cain. And in fact, he goes so far as to say, you know what, Cain? You got a ways to live. I'm going to protect you until you die naturally. In other words, you're not going to die by the hand of some other person. I struggle with that. I don't know for sure, but here's your pastor's thoughts. I think what's behind this is that God is giving Cain a chance. He's saying, you know, I know the status of your heart right now. I see how blind to your sin you are and how overcome with your anger you are. If you were to die now or soon, you wouldn't ever return to me. But I'm going to give you the rest of your life. You have the rest of your life to live with what you've done and to return to my goodness and my grace. I think that's the grace that God is offering Cain, is the choice. To continue in his sin and to where that's going to lead or to turn back to the Lord. And I don't think in the story we get any evidence that Cain does that. Later on in the passage, if you read the rest of chapter four, it says he goes and he builds a city and he names the city after his firstborn son. Interesting, right? Maybe I didn't get the firstborn blessing, but I sure as heck gonna make sure my son gets glory. So I think we see a picture of someone who has been given over to their sin and allowed, if they so choose, to continue in their sin. And at the same time, God has shown Cain over and over the abundance of his grace and goodness. And I don't think Cain wants it because oftentimes I want blessing I've earned, right? Do I want blessing that's been given to me graciously? No, I wanna know that I earned it and you're giving it to me because you have to, because I'm so great. You hear that? You, you feel that desire? I think Cain felt that. And he's like, forget your grace, God. I'm going to go build a city. And that's how my name is going to be great. So Cain in this story is the picture of someone who has let that pouncing animal in the door, has chosen to disbelieve God's grace is enough for him and has stepped away from the relationship and said, I'm going it alone. And it is an option. That's the the terrible reality of this passage of scripture is it forces us to recognize that this is an option, that this is a way you could go, but it's not the way 
that the Bible offers. Because this story, as, as much as it, A, paints the picture of sin, and B, paints the picture of the blessing of God, is it's actually not enough. Because I finished this story really dissatisfied. And thank God, the Bible doesn't end here. This story actually perfectly sets us up for the story of Jesus. Because Jesus comes, not just to offer a chance to live out your days and to return to God, but kills the power of that pouncing animal of sin by his own death. Let me tell you what I mean. In Hebrews 12, there is a beautiful passage that connects the work of Jesus to this exact story. Hebrews 12, 24 says, the blood of Jesus cries out a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Jesus cries out just like Abel's blood cries out, it cries out too, but it cries out a better word. What does that mean? Well, the blood of Abel cried out a powerful cry. And we should be very attuned to that cry right now. Because the death, the innocent death of beautiful creations of God cries out to God. That's the first thing we see. God hears the blood of Abel. God hears the blood of the innocent murdered. He's so in tune with his creation. If you think God just created the world and created us and said, well, figure it out. That's not the God that we see. Abel's blood reached the ears of God and he said, I, I can't handle it, right? I'm not gonna let this, this blood just remain. And so I'm gonna now go to the one who committed it and we're gonna start to work through this. And maybe he didn't do to Cain what I wish he would have done to Cain, but he still addresses it. But here's the thing. The blood of Abel and the blood of lost, beautiful creations of God cries out injustice. The blood of Jesus cries out justice. The blood of Jesus is actually the inverse of that blood because his blood is the one that seals justice for those who commit those crimes, those who repent of it and those who even don't. Because God is the judge. Sin will be judged. Cain, at the end of his days, was judged and is being judged. Those who commit crimes will be judged. And even those who return to Christ are going to receive judgment, right? But the blood of Jesus is the statement that he has taken on that judgment for us. So the blood of Abel cries out injustice, injustice committed, and the blood of Jesus cries out justice served. Abel's blood cries out death committed. But the blood of Jesus cries out death defeated. Because the blood of Jesus gives eternal life. For Abel, for those sweet children from a couple weeks ago, and for all of us. There is no lasting death for those that have Jesus. And so his blood cries out eternal life. Abel's blood was the end of Abel, right? His death was a cry of, I am no more, right? But the blood of Jesus says there will be life for Abel. There will be eternal life. So Jesus' blood truly does cry out a better word for us. And it's why God can look at Cain and in being here together, looking at the word of the Lord in the spirit, God can tell us 
watch out for that crouching animal of sin at your door. Watch out for the part of you that you don't want to give to the Lord that has the ability to rule over you. But maybe, for many of us, watch out even more for that, that small voice that's telling you the blessing of God is maybe not enough for you. That there's maybe not enough goodness to go around. There's not enough blessing. There's not enough grace to go around. And hear a different sound, the sound of Jesus knocking, right? Because it says sin is crouching at the door, and then the New Testament tells us that Jesus is knocking at the door. That Jesus is pursuing you for a relationship. He's pursuing you for a living, abiding, authentic, walking with him where you get the chance to put him to the test. You get the chance to put him to the test to see it is, will his promises be good enough for you? Will you get what you need? Will you get blessing? He says, test me and see. Let me into your life and let me, and, and, and let me show you what I'm gonna do to this place that you've now let me into. I'm gonna make a garden out of it again. So we have a word being spoken to us. We have a voice that's speaking to us. Um, and if you're in Christ this morning, um, don't run. No matter what sins you've committed, no matter who you got in a fight with last night, uh, come to the Lord in repentance. And if you're not in Christ this morning, um, man, what a, what a beautiful offering this is to hear that there, there, there is no cane that the Lord is also not knocking on his door. That there is an opportunity for each of us to have the blood of Jesus poured over us and to hear the voice of Jesus and to let him in. So we're going to worship. We're going to have a time of confession and repentance for us to do that. Um, and now I'm going to pray. Uh, Jesus, uh, thank you. Um, thank you that you, uh, you say in your word that you come and make your home inside of us. And that's a, and if I'm honest, that can sound like a terrifying thing to think that you're that close to my sin. You're that close to the temptation, that, that crouching animal that, if I'm honest, Lord, I let it in the door all the time. I do. I let it in the door and I let it rule at times. And Lord, your faithfulness is always to, to retake control and to banish that monster. And this morning, uh, Father, I pray um, that you would make yourself really known and really close to us so that we can come to you in repentance. We can come to you bringing uh, the sins that we've committed um, we can come to you with our doubts of whether or not you're going to fulfill your promises. We can come to you with all the, the sorry temptation or the sorry ways that we've been tempted to try to get blessing without you and to step away from the relationship that uh, you have with us. So help us to return, Lord, um, right now as we sing. In Jesus' name we pray.